So here we are, back with our third episode. What are we going to be chatting about today? So today we've got some guests on to talk about the different views on the sector. Um, two of those guests are from within the sector and one is from the outside. Um, so we're just going to be having a general overlook um, at the factors involved in mostly getting jobs. Um, so I think we'll start off, Molly. How did you get your job? How did I get my job? Well, I think, I don't know, actually, I don't know if this is a common theme with other people that have just recently graduated. But when I did finish my undergrad, I was looking for jobs relentlessly (laughs) online and whatnot. And being rejected with just a standardized email or maybe not even anything at times. Um, And then I just seemed I realized that I was clearly the problem and I needed to get some experience, some more hands on experience, which I thought I had some of from college, but I suppose animal care is a bit different to to conservation. So back home, I went and literally picked the biggest nature reserve I could think of that was close by to my house, which was Hengisbury. And um, yeah, I just turned up for a little interview on a rainy day in my little raincoat and went from there. I decided I was just going to say yes to things that came my way when I started because why not what what better is there to do when when you have no experience you might as well get it all um absolutely loved every minute of it but obviously that was something I could do because I'd applied for a master's so I was living off of my well whatever little student finance I was being given and I could live at home with my parents um so that was two big things that I think probably worked massively in my favor and I think that the range of experience that I got while I was there was because of an open open environment from the staff so it was I was very much encouraged to jump into things that maybe I didn't have any experience of but clearly was trusted somewhat to to do um so I think that was a, another big part and another reason why I was so lucky is that you you know having that supportive environment meant that I could do a lot of things and I could gain a lot of experience and I guess it gave me sort of the the nerve or the balls or the courage to believe in what I was doing and eventually be able to just apply for funding and and create a job for myself so um a mixture of hard work and but also a, you know being a, appreciative of of the people that I met and also the situation I found myself in quite long wasn't it <laughs> it, was, it was quite long but, but not that long it covered everything um and we did um we did do a survey on what made um placements work um what made good conservation placement opportunities and the students largely fed back some really interesting keywords. so firstly that they learned secondly they gained experience which as you mentioned is crucial in this area that the work was conservation focused they weren't just being asked to do the typical make tea and photocopy that it was all conservation focused it was fun i mean if you're doing something for free should be fun to some degree right because you're not getting paid (laughs) they learned new skills and ultimately it was good for their careers um so they use that word careers as well so that's that's really interesting to find um obviously that resonating with them in terms of a, a wider view of the field um there are some well known barriers or hurdles to to getting jobs and some of them you've listed there experience um would be one of them so 
more often than not entry-level jobs in this sector do ask for experience um, rightly or wrongly that's still a common theme in a lot of job adverts you'll find today in the conservation sector and some of that experience is quite often gained through volunteering and that's not workable for everybody which is again a bit of a barrier for them so there's often a lot of students who haven't got the means to volunteer so that could be for socioeconomic reasons there could also be cultural barriers in there as well so that's that's one issue um there's there's other parts of the sector that have problems as well molly have you spotted any well i think for me personally as as well as what i've heard from others is that the education the academia the the stuff that you're taught doesn't always correlate to maybe the jobs that you could find yourself in um with degrees that you can do obviously they are they are really great for certain people in whatever situation you find yourself in I mean I obviously I've really enjoyed my time studying I did love it but I also have loved being able to get hands-on and to actually gain experience which you know if you're paying nine grand a year to go to to have an education should you not be leaving with at least the minimum skills to find yourself a paid paid job you shouldn't then have to volunteer following following three years maybe longer depending on how far in you study um and so it, it kind of seems like there is a disconnect between academia and between the jobs in conservation that that you can have and often the academia can set you up for a research position which is no obviously that's a, a great position also but if you're going to be one of the people that works on the ground should they not also be able to be set up for that as well yeah, it's a great point. Um, and obviously the the sector being as broad as possible in terms of who it can attract, we do need to to go back and look at some of those barriers and how we can make the the sector more accessible for everybody. So that socioeconomic status is not a barrier to different work because the internships that are involved and the, the volunteer positions, that there is a perhaps some sort of opportunity for, for those um, from different backgrounds. You know, we have seen some universities that have bursaries for people that, that do um, internships where the internship is unpaid the university will then top it up to cover them doing it and that's just an example of a route that can be offered um, where there is uh, a means for somebody from a different background to come and, and learn and we do know from other sectors that generally sectors and organizations are much more successful when there's a more diverse workforce as well you get that diversity of opinion and at the end of the day we want conservation to be relatable don't we we have to be relatable you know we know it's not just our problem so do you think it's it's really key that we we are more diverse yeah i mean we i think we kind of touched on this when we spoke with jesse as well but we strive to make our habitats and our world as diverse as possible because we know that that that's what creates the best functioning ecosystem so why are we not doing that within our own sector it just seems it just seems wild and we could directly affect that by the opportunities we give people and by the standards that we're setting for people getting into the sector as well. Great well I think we're ready to introduce our first guest. So we're going to hear first from Emily Seacombe who is from A Focus on Nature and she's going to be chatting about view, her views of the sector. So my name's Emily and Yes, I'd say I'm a conservationist, um, a sort of few years into my career, so quite early career sort of conservationist. Um, and I've worked for a few different environmental charities mostly, um, uh, but 
I also volunteer for a focus on nature, um, running their mentoring scheme. Um, and I've just finished um, a master's course. I'm going to be starting a new job soon. So yeah, that's sort of general intro to me. Do you want to tell us about the route that you took to get here, you know, and I guess where your where your interest started in nature as well? Mm. Um, so I did a, a biology degree um, initially, and, and I definitely was interested more in the sort of ecology conservation side of it, but didn't really know what career options were available. Um, I, I, I kind of thought, oh, the only sort of conservation job is being a ranger and wasn't aware of all the different facets of it. Um, and whilst I was doing that degree, I started doing bits of volunteering, um, which sort of, I guess, increased my interest in the sector. Um, so my local wildlife trust had like a youth rangers group. So I went along to that, doing sort of practical habitat management. Um, and I also did an internship with the RSPCA um, at their education centre. Um, so I just didn't really realise they did much sort of wildlife conservation focused stuff Um but they do uh, this centre in particular, um, so sort of helped out with that, which was quite a good sort of learning opportunity to find a bit more out about the different sort of sides of conservation. Um, yeah, I think I think looking back, I sort of feel like it was inevitable that I'd end up in conservation, but definitely sort of didn't feel that way at the time. And I wasn't really sure where I was going or what my options were. Um, but then once I'd finished um, my degree, I then... Uh, started a, a sort of trainee scheme with the National Trust and then sort of other jobs followed from there. Did you notice any main differences between the requirements for each of those organisations to get in? I think the big the big difference is that for the large organisations they had were definitely using a sort of standardised role profile with some things on that maybe weren't that specific to that job or that site or that project whereas the um, the last job that I mentioned because it was just a a smaller team perhaps was the reason for it that they'd very much tailored the role profile to that exact job and and when I went back to have a have a look at it I could see oh exactly like why they'd put all those things on there because they were things I'd really been involved with whereas yeah the National Trust and the RSPB role profiles maybe had although you might have some additional information somewhere online about the role they were definitely sort of standardized things that were sometimes a little bit hard to work out exactly what the role would involve because they'd kept it a bit vague to keep it um, suitable for different places I guess. Did you find that the requirements for these roles actually fitted what the job was so were they requirements that were actually required? Yeah I think I think it's definitely a mixture. Um, One of the interesting ones was the, the National Trust Academy Ranger Scheme which is their sort of trainee apprenticeship scheme for rangers their job spec was quite varied in some places it seemed to ask for quite a lot of I guess more advanced career skills so things like managing finance and um, building relationships and that sort of thing that you might not get uh, already have a sort of experience of but then it also had as a sort of minimum requirement um, academically of GCSEs and it had sort of things on the job spec that implied or indicated that it was a sort of training role so things like saying that you'd be mastering skills and building your knowledge um so it was a bit of a a mixed one to sort of interpret that one and I think that the reality is you might not have all the experience that they're listing on there but which is also odd because a lot of the other thing I noticed was it was like a cohort of 
I don't know, 10 or 12 of us who were sort of taken on at the same time. And I think all but one of us had degrees. So it was quite an interesting how maybe it's sort of either that a lot of people have degrees nowadays. Anyway, but there is this sort of comp- competition, I guess, even if they don't need a degree, that if lots of people have them, then that's sort of, I don't know, a bonus point or um, something that people were exceeding. So I think about the RSPB one, I think was when I had a look at the role profile and thought about what I'd done, it was quite well matched to to the skills involved. But having said that, a lot of them I definitely built on the role and that was, I think, was fine. And and thinking about it, I, I think I was very lucky to get the job because I actually didn't have necessarily all the experience they were looking for and that perhaps that was one where the role profile was one of these generic ones but actually they wanted someone who's um, sort of very enthusiastic and could communicate that to other people. And perhaps that was something that helped me to, to get that job as opposed to having ticked off every single experience criteria, I guess. Do you think a degree should own you a, a bonus point in those mm. situations? Or do you think there's, there's other ways of, of mm. being able to search through people for the best candidate? Mm. I think I think it definitely depends on the job for the ranger trainee ranger scheme I definitely don't think it should I think you could definitely have more useful experience from other avenues that a degree really doesn't actually help that much um for doing sort of really practical hands-on stuff but definitely other roles in conservation having a degree I think is useful um but yeah, you probably could get that experience in other ways that might be might be more useful and not take you three years and lots of debt. So um, it was something I had an interesting um, one of the um, contacts from a focus on nature um, is quite passionate about as well um, and about sort of promoting the alternatives to academia. Um, and I think we could have the same conversation probably about masters, um, masters degrees. So I feel it's another thing like as you go up the job ladder you feel pressure to because they start putting masters as maybe desirable and then you think oh um whereas maybe that's another thing where experience is actually just as good as masters but um you feel like that's something maybe that you should get (laughs) to give you a better chance do you think there's a problem with with structure across the sector and and the requirements we're asking for and you know you know i mean you've already mentioned about some things being too high for people do you see this as a problem yeah, definitely. I think, um, so I, I did start off as a ranger-based role and have moved away from it um, just because of my personal interests. But I definitely think that rangers are underpaid, even within the sector. If you compare a ranger job description, the amount of experience and skills and qualifications that are needed for that, it might only be paid like £18,000 compared to a very similar amount of experience for a, say a project officer role that's say you get I don't know five grand more or something and I don't quite understand why I wonder if it's just a split between people who decide those pay grades and are office space and don't understand the amount of experience that that requires or if it's just because there are enough people out there in the market that they can do it at that rate. What advice would you give to somebody coming into the sector? Mm. Oh, I feel like there's so many different things that I could say one of the things would be to find opportunities like wherever wherever you can or examples of projects that you could use um, or develop like wherever you can. And it doesn't have to be in a, in a 
job but in a voluntary position or a job outside the sector um identifying the opportunities that you think oh I can use this this would be an opportunity for me to build my skills and use this as sort of an example when I am doing interviews and trying to get that the job that I really want in the sector um so yeah trying to find something you can use your own initiative or creativity um to and especially like something that you're really passionate about or interested in um I think that would be that would be an important thing yeah so thank you, Emily, for guiding us through a focus on nature, the organisation, and also through the mentorship scheme. It's a really great way of people getting some help inside the industry. We're going to move on now to our next guest, who's a voice from outside the sector. And despite being a geography graduate, Ollie Sibwell moved into business, helping students to match up with the best placement opportunities available. We have done some work with him in our uh, professional lives, um, helping to get a nature reserves placement program higher up the table across all sectors. Um, and he speaks to us now about how organisations could look to attract the best talent and what they can do to support that. I'm Ollie Sidwell, uh, co-founder of Rate My Placement. Now, Rate My Placement is a website that helps students um, find, search and learn all about work experience at university. And the idea came about when we were at university ourselves. So we went to Loughborough University back in 03 to 07. Um, and yeah, myself and three friends just all were looking for placements as part of our degree course. And uh, I did geography in a joint honours with management um, and found it really difficult to find different placements that were available, um, different opportunities, because we we're right in the middle of the UK it was all very much centralised around Loughborough through our pl placement office at the university and there wasn't really much that I was interested in really so it took us quite a while to find placement opportunities and when we finally found them we then realised that actually there's a bit of an information gap here where we could be helping other students find all these opportunities that are out there we just couldn't do that specifically through our university um, and also when we were looking it was quite difficult to find how do you know if that job's going to be any good? Like you just get a job spec saying how great the role is going to be. And okay, that's very much the opinion of the employer, which I'm sure all employers say very similar things positively about their schemes. So we all finished our placements, came back to Loughborough and realised that we all had very mixed experiences. And if, if we'd have known a bit more about the role before we applied, would we have actually gone to the same company or in the same uh, role? Um, so set up Rate My Placement to help other students following in our footsteps to um, help students like review all these experiences, a bit like the TripAdvisor for placements and internships, which is what we're known as. Um, and off the back of building loads of content and reviews and user-generated content, we then started working with employers to then advertise opportunities. So we became uh, a job board uh, with a very much a difference in terms of having that peer-to-peer -peer review alongside to help you understand all the roles you can apply for. And I guess really for, our, I mean, in our sector as well, there are some known issues with, with terms and conditions. And it's always the way that I think applicants are expected to feel lucky that a company has invested in them. And yeah. I think in other sectors, there seems to be a bit more of a, a culture where companies are investing in people rather than the other way around. I mean, do you, do you see there as being a bit, you know, differences across different sectors in how that relationship is, is played out? Yeah, very much so. I think some, some industries are so competitive. Uh, like if you go to say, like you know, journalism, there's hardly any placement roles in journalism or fashion, 
So therefore, students will chop an arm off to go and do that. So the power is all in the employer's hands. Whereas the other industries where actually there's so much competition from those industries to try and get the best students. So the approach is very different. They're always you know, advertising as much as they can, showcasing their brand in the best possible light, offering different schemes or competitions to help engage students. So yeah, it completely differs by industry um, in terms of their approaches to bringing early talent into their, their business. Which, which of those two approaches do you think is healthier? Healthier, great question. Um, so your banks and law firms um, are the ones that are trying to get the best talent. They're so competitive. So they'll be the ones that are adding most value to students. If you're talking about healthy, you know, they're the ones thinking about ways to engage with them, offer different insight schemes for first year, say, whether that's one day or a week, um, you know, insights into the business, lots of CV building, workshops to help them learn a bit more about themselves and how to get a step up in life. So there's loads of activity being done by those industries to obviously get those students to apply to them. But in order to do that, they, they want to give back to them um, through lots of different schemes and initiatives to help that. Um, so actually, I'd say that is seeing it as in a more competitive light. Um, yes, it benefits us because they all want to advertise on our platform, which is obviously beneficial for us from our revenue model. Um, but equally, the students getting loads more out of it as well. And there's so many more opportunities for young people in those industries as well. Great. And it brings, I guess it brings in that element of com competition as well. So I guess, you know, in, in competing organisations are constantly trying to evolve and make themselves better as well. And that's mm. that's never a bad thing for, for competing organisations, is it? Whereas I think yeah. the other example perhaps doesn't lead to much competition. Which yes. Stale. Yeah, it, it does. And that's where you have real um, issues, which we may or may not go on to talk about, which is around the unpaid internships um, and companies using students uh, it's a, for want of a better word, just mainly because, you know, it's, they know how um, difficult it is to get a job in, like I say, journalism or fashion. So, you know, that, that student has to do everything, almost work for free. They're so they should be grateful just to get the opportunity. Um, and having a, that as your first step in life into the working world isn't really what the working world is always about. Um, and that's, that's also been abused from a, like a nepotism perspective where, you know, you know, get my friend of a friend or get my son into a job because, because I know them. It, it doesn't really uh, help from actually, is this person the best person for the role? It's are they able to work for free? Will they do anything they possibly can to help me and my job? Great, bring them in. Like the, the whole application process is kind of lost. Now I'm kind of uh, stereotyping a little bit there, but that is the sort of overriding trend that we do see. Um, so just going back to your, your geographical roots, um, but as a geography graduate, what do you think of the employability efforts within the environmental sector as a whole from what you've seen? Um, from what I've seen, um, it's not not great, if I'm honest. Like we don't see a huge huge amount of opportunities from that sector um, in the same way we do for, I'd say, banks, law firms, IT firms. And a lot of it boils down to cash, really. You know, a lot of those firms have a lot more money to spend, so therefore they're trying to do their best to reach out to students. Um, if I look actually through my, uh, my course, so I did a joint honours, and I was just thinking through, there were 16 people on my course 
And I think 14 or 15 of us uh, followed the business management route rather than the geography route, mainly because of the opportunities that were available, the opportunities that were presented to us by the university. So if there are opportunities out there in the environmental sector, I think we would have been really intrigued in finding out more about them. We just didn't know about them, which, again, is from a rate my placement perspective, something we want to change. And certainly BCP Council um, have done a brilliant job over the last few years getting loads of reviews and having a presence on the site to showcase the opportunities you offer. Because actually, when you see them and read about them, that's then inspiring other students to think, wow, that could be me. But like I say, 14 years ago, when we launched the website, we, we didn't know about that. Um, so it was just the biggest brands that got in front uh, of you on campus that was kind of front of mind that you got um, the, the route you got pushed down. So if, if anybody's listening to this and do offer opportunities, I guess the takeaway is people don't know about them. So yeah. if we have got them, then we need to be better at knowing about them. If we haven't, then we need to look at offering them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think everyone would have loved to have found out more or just had that option. Um, which is again something we really want to want to change. Yeah, the, the reviews on our website are completely free to do so because we want to promote as many companies as possible running great schemes. So yeah, we'd love to hear from more um, companies in the space because personally I'm passionate about it and would love to have had a bit more of an insight for, for my career. I think it comes down to those. So I mean, generally, you, I mean, you you've obviously seen lots of reviews in your time you know, probably sleep and dream about them, I'd imagine, as well. Um, the, big, the big companies that offer uh, big schemes, you know, like your Microsofts, IBMs, uh, Bank of England, you know, they have so many, so many people in that business that if they ran schemes unpaid, you'd get a lot of opposition from whether it's the moral argument, um, there's going to be someone in there that's going to say something about it. Um, and of course, they're, they're wanting to compete with each other. So I'd almost bring it back to that competition element that they're so competing for the, the best talent to bring into their business that um, they, they can afford to pay for it. They, they make a lot of money. Um, not They're all for-profit businesses. So there's a lot of cash sort of fly, flying about. And you know, bringing students in um, early in their career, it is an investment because for certainly in some roles, they can't suddenly just come in and do the job straight away off the back of either doing a degree or being at school. There's quite a lot of training that has to go in, um, in for some roles. So by bringing people in at that level, you do you are committing to them longer term to invest in them, um, train them up to get them to a point where they actually would then stay in the business longer. And that is a huge benefit we do see from placement schemes where you bring students in early in their career, you train them up uh, to work for your business so they understand um how best to work for for you and then they also stay longer as well so we see the average uh, retention rate from students that do a placement to then come back as a graduate is around 50 percent so one in two students you know you bring on will come back so for some businesses that's brilliant because it's the cost of bringing in graduates is really expensive and they don't always work out so if you bring on um a batch of placement students you retain half of them and those students will often stay for far longer than a graduate will. So you're getting so much value out of them longer term. Um, they're so committed to the business. They've, they've learned how to work just for your business. So there's no bad habits. Um, they understand the culture. 
so they're very much they fit in straight away so there's loads of benefits um, for investing in young talent but like I say it's much more of a longer term play. So thanks to Ollie for a really interesting take on not just our sector but all sectors and careers and and giving us some advice on on how to make ourselves better. So for our final guest we hear from Tiersa Lofeld who's set up Wild Hub the global community for conservationists and she'll be telling us a little bit more about that. We will first have to just apologize as audio isn't the greatest for this one but hopefully you can still hear all the great things that she had to say. So my background is mostly um, in grade eight behavior actually and um, I started uh, observing chimpanzees and, and gorillas and that was both in captive settings as well as in the wild um, for organizations like Jane Goodall Institute in the Netherlands but also uh, Chimpanzee Wildlife Orphanage in Zambia and uh, a WWF program a gorilla habituation program it was in Central African Republic um, but then after that I moved on to more like community-based conservation, um, education and awareness raising, and actually building the, the local and national capacity of stakeholders mostly, which was in uh, Southeast Asia, um, mainly Indonesia, under the Primate Education Network, as well as um, uh, at the time it was a local program called Selamakanyaki, which means um, safe the Sudoasian macaque. And um, yeah, since 2016, I've been in the UK pursuing a PhD uh, on the topic of capacity development for those who work in conservation, and as well as setting up Wild Hub for Wild in the UK. So, um, and yeah, in between, I've been helping uh, organize workshops and trainings for conservation managers, conservation leadership as well as um, training workshops on topics like well-being, resilience and motivation at work. Um, and it also led me to help organise a, a conference, an international conference on festival for conservation, which was, held, uh, which was held in London in 2019. So I guess from your many different angles, what do you think are the main barriers facing people coming into, a, into the conservation sector? Um, well, what I heard from others uh, quite often and experienced myself to some degree is that, um, you know, conservation is a field that requires a substantial um, investment of your time and also of money, financial means, and um, that comes with quite a high risk in that, the way I view it at least, that even if you are able to make that investment, it doesn't guarantee you the career that you'd like to have. So, um, yeah, just to give you a bit of an example, I, I sometimes compare it uh, with how I grew up, which, um, so I'm, um, I have an older sister, and I, when she was four, she knew that she wanted to become a doctor. So when she finished um, secondary education, she went into, into medical school, uh, you know, four years of theory, two years of uh, practical experience, and then, you know, she landed her first job. It was quite straightforward, you know. She might have had to choose between like different specialities, and yeah, maybe there was some job interviews, uh, several of them, or maybe not. Maybe the first one was actually a hit. I can't remember quite. It's been a while, but 
you know, it was quite straightforward. Whereas for me, I also knew from an early age what I wanted to do, but um, I also felt like I was pioneering all the time. Because I didn't know anybody when I was growing up who worked in conservation. So for me, it was really like a zigzag kind of route in my, my point of view, right? And then um, even though, you know, I invested a lot of time and, and, and also money, like I, you know, at one point during my undergrads, I um, got a student loan to do my first internship abroad. And, you know, looking back, I, I was lucky to get that loan, to even have, you know, the means to get a loan to do that. But um, just to say that, you know, even though I went through quite a lot of, uh, yeah, I did that investment, it was not, you know, guaranteed that it would land me this career. And I'm, I'm really grateful for all the people that have helped me along the way. And, and, and there's a lot of luck that is involved in that as well, I think. Um, just being at the right place, in the right place at the right time, you know. What do you think are the most important skills for modern conservationists? Um, I think it would be an open-mindedness to consider other people's viewpoints. And also a willingness and an active approach to learning. Because, like I said before, I mean, it might be sounding a bit repetitive, but I think, you know, in conservation, we deal with um, rapidly, rapid change um, and a lot of uncertainty. And I think, yeah, we just need to keep, we need to continuously update our skill sets, our knowledge, we, uh, you know, to kind of also uh, respond positively when we when we face adversity, which comes to the resilience building, right? And I think um, learning is such an essential process in that. So thank you so much for Tiaza for joining us today and all of the other guests as well. Um, Wild Hub is a brilliant resource. Um, Molly and I have already promoted some work on there. Um, and have got a fantastic response. It's a great way of connecting conservationists around the world. Um, Molly, how have you found today's episode? I think it's really nice to talk about the sector in a much more open way and also to hear from other people who maybe are doing slightly different things and also trying to help out people getting into different sectors, but also to help people continue on their journey to improve their own careers as well. I think the other thing is, is quite nice. We often have um, work parties from different organisations come out to nature reserves and um, learn from us perhaps on how to team build um, and maybe just use the outdoors for their own um, health and well-being and to connect their teams in a different way. And I think equally we could reach across that divide and look at some of those organisations and see how they handle things like new recruits and internship programmes and pathways to encouraging all sorts of professionals into their organisation to make themselves diverse that we could also learn a lot in return as well. Yeah, we could definitely begin to work much more collaboratively in the way that they can come and learn some things and have a great day out with us, but also they could bring back something much more valuable to us in terms of learning different practices from different sectors. And the other thing from Ollie today as well is that Rate My Placement, I think, is a great resource um, for other conservation organisations to sign up. It feels like quite lonely on there as a conservation organisation at the moment. And I hope in the future, obviously, we're joined by other people and organisations because it's a great way of benchmarking your offer and also to start to compete for people. You know, there are better and worse candidates in every sector. Um, and by being in there, it's just another way of you getting how you support the new recruits and the the best people and attract them towards your team yeah definitely and that's 
probably something we should really start to make big steps in first is making sure we attract the best people to the well the biased but the best sector that I think that there is lovely what a great way to end um so I think we'd like to thank all of our guests um, for appearing today. As usual, please have a look in the notes section for the links accompanying this episode, which will provide you to our WordPress page, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. And if you're on anything that lets you like and subscribe, make sure you do that. So thank you. Bye. Bye.